listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So you can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Lord willing, I believe that is the last time I will say that um, in uh, this current message series and for the next little while, uh, although we'll probably be referring to it, this is such a crucial chapter in the Word of God, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and um, so Matthew chapter 5, we'll be reading from it in just a couple of moments. I wonder today if I want you to, I encourage you to get thinking and kind of marinating a little bit in your head about a certain question I have to you, who do you hate? Who do you hate the most? Is there someone here in this life, someone that you know that you just hate? I mean, now, okay, now hate might be a strong word. Um, so, so who do you dislike? Or who do you struggle with loving? Can you start thinking of some people? Perhaps I'll help you a little bit. Perhaps it's an ex. An ex-husband, an ex-wife, an ex-girlfriend, an ex-boyfriend, a, a, a boss, an ex-boss or a current boss or, uh, you know, or maybe it's a former or an ex-employee or someone like that or um, maybe it's someone you struggle with being able to love and in fact you strongly dislike um, a person from a different race, different religious or ethnic background. Or how about that super irritating person in your life? I mean, it just seems like they're just put on the face of this earth to drive you crazy. You know, I didn't know what to put in there, so I put a picture of myself in there in case I drive any of you folks crazy, you know? And, and we have that, don't we? We have pictures, images, and, and, and people that, that just, you know, can, can just, you know, get under your skin in one way or another. And it's just like, I, I, I just can't let They drive me crazy. I do not like them. Or maybe you've been a victim of some sort of crime or vandalism, and, and maybe even you know or they even caught their perpetrator, and, and, uh, and, and, and it's really hard to love that person, and in fact, you can't stand that person. In fact, um, it's happened to Charlotte and I a number of times, and me personally, things have been, our place have been, has been broken into uh, over the years, different places we've lived, things stolen from us, credit cards compromised, and it kind of makes you angry if you either know the people or even if you don't know them, it's just like, who would do this? And even just Friday night, um, actually, our um, property was damaged. Uh, we had some vandalism and uh, thankfully because Charlotte won a um, camera doorbell this summer uh, we had that installed and ready to go and we actually caught uh, got a visual of the of the person doing the vandalism just take a look at this (laughs) and if you can turn up the volume Dan I mean the chewing is something else oh you might not be able to get the volume but we'll just let this run I've got minutes of this, I'm telling you. I mean, it's just unbelievable. This is our front door, by the way. Yeah, and so, and now take a look. This was the end result of that nice shrub. Yeah, not, not much left of it, you know. And so, you know, I mean, these kind of things. I mean, it was quite the comical thing we discovered yesterday morning. But all joking aside, Perhaps you have been in a more serious way other than this, what I'm talking about here today or in those videos or in that video. Um, Someone has devastated you by committing some sort of injustice or crime against you. And it's so easy and so natural to be angry and and to uh, even dislike that person, to hate that person perhaps even. 
Or maybe it's a politician, maybe it's a government official um, that you just have a hard time liking them. Or maybe it's people with certain political views and, and, and you just kind of think, you know, just, uh, yeah. or maybe it's slow drivers. They have a way of slow drivers or crazy drivers, one or the other. I mean, they just get under your skin. Or, or, or maybe um, it's a person or a group of people who have chosen to live and to promote an alternative lifestyle, one that goes against the word of God. And when you see people portraying their lifestyle in that, that there's anything but love in your heart for them. Or criminals, terrorist groups, ISIS, whoever it might be. Those who just seem to go around and they wreak havoc on those causing suffering and, and causing all kinds of pain and sorrow, even death for people around this world or even criminals in our own nation. So who is it for you? Who do you struggle to like, to love? In fact, in your heart that when you get thinking about this group, and maybe nothing's been mentioned that really gets you going, but when you do, if you start thinking about that, your blood pressure starts to rise and your heartbeat go, starts to go, and not in a positive way. In fact, it's in a very negative way. Or I wonder, do you put a different spin on it? Perhaps you take joy Pleasure, a sick pleasure, perhaps, when you see the high and the mighty, the pompous, the proud, the arrogant get humbled. And sooner or later, that does happen. Sooner or later, it will always happen. The proud ultimately will be humbled. And that's a great message to us as well, to know in areas of pride, God does humble us. And today my prayer is as we dig into Matthew chapter 5, the last number of verses here, and my prayer is as we dig into this, that we would all take and we would examine our lives and not just look over our shoulder or look at other people or consider other people who should be listening to this message, but that each one of us, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in our lives through the word of God today, and by the end we would be repenting of sin, because that's what it is, we would be repenting of sin and a loveless heart and a hate-filled heart or a bitter-filled heart or an unforgiving heart and that, that heart of, of hatred or dislike or whatever it is we take would be, would be replaced with a heart of love, <laughs> not in our own power, in our own strength, but what is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That the thoughts of retaliation and revenge that you've been carrying that offense, that you wouldn't carry for one more day, that it would be done. Today would be the day that it is brought to the foot of the cross and say, I'm done. I'm not carrying this any further. And instead of thoughts and plots of retaliation and revenge, that our hearts would be replaced with a supernatural love for the people described or whoever it is in your life. You see, we carry this stuff, this weight, we justify it, it bogs us down, and we wonder why God isn't alive in our lives, Where, why there's no joy or no victory. It's like, I'm trying, I'm doing all this, and yet we have this heart that needs some attention. And as we give our heart this attention this morning in this very practical but very real and very raw point of Scripture, God can do a great work in our lives, and I pray he does that in me. Because this message has exposed a lot in my heart that needs to change. 
And so last week we sought to answer the question here in this mission, which is what we might think is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And, and, and we talked about last week, and it's available online and, and on iTunes. You can, you can download that message. We're not going to take time to recap it, but we did answer the question from God's word. How do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice? How do we respond when we've been treated wrongly, when what has happened to us is, un, is not fair? But today we're going to continue with the, the last part of Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to answer this question, Lord willing, from his word. How can we love without limits? How can we love those around us, everyone around us, with a love without limits? Well, we can't in our own power and our strength, and we're going to find out how we can. This is the last part of chapter 5 of the greatest sermon ever preached. And why is it the greatest sermon ever preached? Because it was our Lord who preached it. And it's interesting to note that in the 1950s, C.S. Lewis, the great author, writer, theologian, uh, was taken to task over a statement that he had made when he said that he didn't care very much for the Sermon on the Mount. But then he answered his critics by this quote that you see here on the screen, and it says, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. It's so true. I mean, you read Matthew chapter 5, what we've been working through for 16 Sundays, and as we continue on into chapter 6 and 7, it knocks you, it flattens you, because it is just like, how do you do this? Almost every line of this sermon will flatten us and will say, there's no way, it is impossible for me to live like that. There's no way this can happen. Now, remember that this sermon, Jesus was not telling people how to get saved or how to become Christians per se. He's telling us how we ought to live in this world as followers of his, as Christians. How we are to live in a way that properly reflects Christ. And yet Jesus, in giving this sermon and calling us to live this way, he seems to have the faith in the crowd he was speaking to, and that crowd was a mixed-up group of people, just like we are. And Jesus seemed to have faith that it was possible to live this way, and so Jesus has faith in you that it is possible to live this way, that he is outlining to us here that we're going to see. He has faith and confidence, not in your power and your ability, but his power through his Spirit in and through us to be able to live a love without limits. So today, how do we live a love without limits? We're going to start at verse 43 of chapter 5. You can follow along. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of, the father, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, if what he's telling us in the first number of verses don't flatten us, that last verse flattens us completely, doesn't, us? doesn't it? 
you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that going for you today? And so we're going to start here. We're going to look at verse 43, and Jesus says here, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Now, Jesus was quoting here a very common uh, phrase of the day, a a very uh, solid practice that people have been living, that you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. Now, this part about loving your neighbor, I mean, that's good. That's biblical. I mean, they were right on target with what the Old Testament taught. I mean, from Leviticus 19, in those days, they, they believed solidly that your neighbor was those that were around you. And the way that they would live in, in, in communities, oftentimes your neighbor was your family members. It was your, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters. And, and, and you would live together and, and, and with the same kind of people. And so you would, the Jewish people would stay with the Jewish people. And, and, and so it was very easy to love your neighbor. And so, so they were able to, to love their neighbor because it was very easy to love themselves and, and to care for themselves. And, and, and so it, it was easy to do this. You shall love your neighbor. That's good. That's biblical. But then that last part, and hate your enemy. Now, that's nowhere found in the Bible. Where were they getting that from? And Jesus is saying, this is your tradition. This is what you folks have come to believe and accept and think that it's, it's okay Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. You have learned this sort of behavior. You've learned this practice and and you've justified having animosity and hate and bitterness and revenge and and, and prejudice towards others. You've come to kind of think that that's okay. And see, what had happened is they had twisted, they had softened, they had ignored areas of God's word and, and found some ingenious ways of being able to work around it. They were tossing aside many of the other passages in the Old Testament scriptures that taught kindness towards one's enemies. Even in Exodus 23, I'm going to read these these verses here for you. In in Exodus 23, verse 4, it says, If you meet your enemy, enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, what should you do to it? What should you do if you see your enemy's ox or donkey going astray? Ha! Stinks to be him. No. You shall bring it back to him. If you, see your don- if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That doesn't sound like hate to me. Or Proverbs 25, verse 21, where it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Give him bread to eat. And if, any, if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. That doesn't sound like hate. But they had brought their ways and their teaching into a way that they could love their neighbors, their fellow Jews, those that are like them, and they justified the racism and the hatred of all others, believing that they were still honoring God. They, were, they could still honor and obey God and be God's people by justifying, well, these people, these Gentiles, they're enemies of God, so there are enemies as well, and so it's okay to hate there. And see, they justified and they twisted God's word. And I wonder what area in our lives can we so easily take? And I know God's word says this, but we had so many buts in there, don't we? And we could probably go through a laundry list of items of things that we have justified. I know God's word says this, but. And this is an area they were doing this. You see, what we do and what God commands us can at times be two different things. 
And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 44, and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. God's word is so clear that there is no room in the kingdom. There's no room in the kingdom citizen for hate. Whether that's that difficult person, the ex-spouse, that person who hurt you, that offended you, that business person who ripped you off, that certain ethnic group, that politician, there's no room for hate. And God's people, I think we have to be so careful of even the things that we post on social media about politicians or those who God has placed in our nation as our leaders. We may not like their decisions, but we are not to hate them. I read this week of a native tribe in, Polyne- in, um, in Polynesia who, um, around their huts, would take and they would hang different objects around the roof line of their huts. When asked about what these kind of objects were and just very odd kind of things that would hang from, from sticks to jars to clothing to just very odd kind of objects that they would hang around the rooftop of their house and, and someone asked them about it and they said, oh, those are reminders of injuries. When someone injures us or does something against us, we hang a token to remind us of that injury and it stays there until we, and, and we will not remove it until we have taken full revenge towards that person. Now, we don't hang stuff from the rooftop of our, uh, from, from the roof line of our houses, do we? But we hang things in our heart. And we hold on to things, bitternesses and hurts and offenses. You see, that's the human way of doing it. We're just not as raw and as real as the Polynesian people, but this isn't the way for God's people. We must be like our king. We must be like Jesus and love our enemies and obey him in this. This is what it means to live a love without limits. This is a love that doesn't make sense. It's a love that defies logic. But it's ultimately a picture of God's love for us as well. Verse 45, he goes on to say, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This doesn't make us sons. There's no do this and, and this is how you get saved. God's word is very clear that we can't earn our salvation. This isn't a works based salvation program that he's talking about. But if God is love and I'm his child, then I should be characterized by his love. And so oftentimes I think as believers, we can so much lack the love of God towards others, whether it's other believers or whether it's people who don't know Christ. And as we love our enemies, as we pray for them, as we get into what God calls us to do here, it will be recognizable that we are sons and daughters because we love like him, because we love without limits. And when we love those who've hurt us, those people who we disagree with solidly, but we have a heart of love for them. It identifies us so clearly as his ch- child, as his children. 1 John 4.20, it says, If you do not show love to your brother, how can you claim to be a child of God? That's very clear. That's very raw. The most godlike thing we can do is love our enemies. And that means that there is no room for hatred. 
There's no category for your unique enemy list that you might have. And some of these things have been bred in us for years and for generations. I think of even just being a younger child and hearing some of the differences and, and the mindset that Germans can have towards Russians. Russians have towards Germans. What everyone has towards Ukrainians. I mean, it just kind of, you know, I mean, and, and, and you're just almost taught this way and bred this way and, and, and to be able to look down and to see people as different and, you know, and, and, and that we're better than them. And there's no room for even that kind of thinking. And so we've been so ingrained in this and God has to do a transformation in our minds and our thinking and our actions. There's no room for that. The worst terrorist, the abuser, even those who are enemies of the cross, the one who mocks and criticizes Christ, what do we do? We are to love them. There's no room for hate. We don't love what they're doing, but we don't hate them. You see, but Melden, okay, how, how, how do we do this? It's so easy to say, and that just slips out of your mouth so nice, and I can kind of agree with it, but how, 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 how do I do it? Well, Jesus tells us how. Write this down, by living with a deepening understanding of God's love for us. How do we love without limits? By living with a deepening understanding of just how much God loves us. We would be so constantly overwhelmed by his great mercy, by his great grace in our lives. Look what it says in verse 45, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and, and, and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This speaks here of God's common grace, something that our small groups are talking about in our study that we're working through in chapter six of the study series that we're working on in talking about common grace. The sun, the rain, God's blessing, it falls on evil and it falls on the good, on the just and on the unjust. It falls on people who love Jesus, who worship him, and it falls on people who mock him, laugh at him, ignore him, deny his even existence. And God is good and God is so loving and, and his love is indiscriminate. His kindness falls on those who love him and those who hate him and you ought to be thankful for that. He allows good people and evil people to receive blessing upon blessing. And just even if you ever need a wake-up call to that, just as you're driving around this beautiful region that God has allowed us to live in, that we can worship and we can praise him as we see the beauty of his creation, as so oftentimes I do every morning. Just look out, look over the mountains, look over the lake, and as you're driving here and about and seeing a mountain popping up in this side, you know, side window, and just, oh, it's... And, and, and uh, what a blessing. But also those who don't love him get to enjoy the same blessings that I get to enjoy. And Jesus, he uses the example for us that, uh, talking about the, the tax collector, look at what he says in verse 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? When we love people who love us, I mean, it's so easy. And there are so many people in our lives, so many people in the life of our church, so many people in our family, they're just so easy to love, aren't they? You just love them. I mean, 
category I love the most in this church are the little babies. Oh, man, we have got some. I mean, the parents in this church make some awesome-looking kids and, and just love them, and they're so cute, and they're so easy to love. And, and so many of them, I, I take it, I hold them, and they love me back. They don't cry, you know, and, 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 and it's just so easy to love them. And, and there's others in our lives like that that are so, so wonderful and, and, and easy to love. And, and, and Jesus is saying, even the tax collectors do that. Even the tax collectors, the scum of the earth, tax collector have the capacity to love their own families and their tax collector buddies. So woohoo that you can love people because even the tax collectors do that. Greeting others, greeting Gentiles will go up and greet others who, you know, they, they get along with. Again, it's, it's not that hard. But you see, our true capacity to love. If you want to know what your love measure in your life or your love meter is really like in your life, you say, oh, I'm so loving towards my family and to my friends and to those in my small group and those in my neighborhood. I just love them, love them. It's so awesome. But our true capacity to love and our true meter to, to know how much we love is not based on how much we love those who love us. It's how, based on how much do we actually love our enemies. This is God's standard. How do we behave towards those who are enemies towards even our Heavenly Father? to those who have be, who behaved badly towards us or towards God or towards others. A love without limits loves all people. Why? Because he first and generously loved us. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Write down Ephesians 2. You'll see some of the verses there in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 to, to 5. But I'm going to just read starting at verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which, uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When we were dead, when we were once enemies of God, and at one point we were all enemies towards God, and if you have never trusted him as your Lord and Savior today and repented of your sins, you are still then seen as an enemy of God. That is your position, an enemy towards God, not deserving or deserving his wrath. And yet God tells us that because of his great mercy, his great love, we've been saved by his grace, even when we were enemies towards him. And he loves us. And in the way that God loves us, a love without limits is that he loves. There is no pit deeper than his grace and his mercy can go. Romans 5.8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a pattern throughout scripture. God loves the unworthy. We were his enemies and God so graciously has loved us. And now he equips us and calls us to love others. A love without limits. Now I'm, I, I want to be clear when I talk about love because some of you could be sitting here and, and you're boiling mad right now. Because if you're, you're sitting here thinking, if you expect me to love that person and you have that image, you know who that person is or that group of people in your mind, the same way that I'm supposed to love my family, forget it. Not doing it. Not talking about that kind of a love. Jesus does not ask us to love our enemies in the same way that we love our loved ones, our nearest or our dearest. God does not expect us to love our enemies with a uh, phileo love. There's different words for love in the Greek language. 
It's not even in the way that we love our, our, our friends, our close friends. He's not talking about an eros love, an affectionate, desiring love. We're not to have that for our enemies. He's talking about an agape love, which seeks, the, seeks God's highest and best for their lives. That we would see that God would do a work that this is a deliberate, a determined, and a generous love. Because of the love that God has given to us, God has loved us with a determined, a generous, and a very deliberate love. In that way, we are to love others. We love as he loved us. And so how do we go about doing this? How do we go about loving? Loving without limits? Living with this deepening understanding of God's love for us, but then also through actions, not just through words. And look what it says, love your enemies and pray for them. When Jesus says love, he's not just this mindset of love. Okay, I'm just going to love them in my mind. Love is always associated with an action. The way that we show that there's love in our heart, it shows in our actions. And that, that was consistent throughout the Old Testament. That's consistent throughout the New Testament. When, when in the Old Testament, when they were told to love their neighbors, it, it meant helping them pull out their donkey or their ox. When they're stopped on the side of the road, you stop and you help them. That's love in action. This doesn't mean that we, you know, uh, that we, we cut people out of our lives and just say, okay, I'm just going to ignore them. But no, there's going to be a, a moving towards them and looking for opportunities to love and to love them in a way that would honor God. He set that example. The night that he was betrayed, again, just, just, just imagine this. I mean, here are his disciples. These men that he had spent this time with, and what are they doing the hours before he dies? They're fighting, they're arguing over who's, who's the greatest. It was ugly, it was cantankerous in that room, it was self-motivated, self-centered, and what does he do? He gets up and he washes their feet. He washes the feet of the ones that would betray, of the one that would betray him and those that would desert him. It's interesting how the King James Version puts verse 44 here in Matthew 5, and he, as it says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Because the love that he's talking about is a love in action. A love that is pursuing, a love that is coming alongside. And then he says, pray for them. That's one of the most profound ways that we show love in action. That's the, that's the starting point, ultimately. We pray for our enemies. But you say, how can I do this? How can I pray for my enemy? How do we get them? Okay, I'll pray for my enemy, and I don't know if you've ever done this. I have. God, get them. Sick them. Make them pay. Oh, God, would you judge them and just bring them to ruin? And dis is, that what, is that how he's wanting us? Do you ever pray like, like that? Have you ever prayed like that? I have. Destroy them. Destroy the wicked. Kill them off. We rejoice when a terrorist is shot and killed. Yeah. One for the good guys. We hear that an abuser is someone takes vigilante justice and takes and shoots them or kills them before they've gone through the justice system or they die before they're ever brought to what we call justice and we rejoice. That's not how we are to be rejoicing. That's not how we are to be praying. Praying for an enemy, for our enemies, is ultimately and supremely modeled by Jesus on the cross. Get that image. What did Jesus do as he was up on the cross? 
looking out over the people, the people that had put him there, the soldiers that were mocking, that were spitting, that put the crown of thorns on him. His disciples that deserted were watching from afar. Judas, who would betray him, and what's, what's Jesus praying? What do you pray? Get him? Send him to hell? No. What do you say? Father, forgive them. You say, yeah, but you know what? Okay, time out, Melvin. That, that's an okay thing for him to pray because after all, he is like fully man, fully human, son of God. Like he is kind of divine there. So that's easy for him to say. Okay, well then look at Acts chapter 7. The first martyr, Stephen. As the rocks were being hurled at him because he would not shut up about Jesus, because he would not deny his faith to those that opposed him, what was he doing? Was he shouting down curses upon them? No. What was he doing? He was praying, Lord, do not lay this sin against their charge. Be merciful. Don't make them pay for what they are doing to me. God, be gracious to them. That's loving your enemies. That's praying for them. That's moving towards them. It's praying God's blessing and God's best upon them. It's how Jesus prayed for you and I from the cross. It's how he prayed that we would come to him. Here's some practical ways you may want to write this down, how we can pray for our enemies. Whether it's that person across the street or that worst terrorist that we can think of or that foul-mouthed anti-Christian person who just drives us nuts. First of all, pray for their salvation. If they don't know Jesus, pray that they would repent. They would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they would be saved. That they would have, some, have, have a heart change. That they would be like the Apostle Paul, how he was Saul, how he was out persecuting the church. We pray for their salvation. This is the heart that we take to the dying world. Oh, Jesus, would you save them? And it's so clear in God's word that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And so we pray for their salvation ultimately because if they get saved, everything changes. We pray for God to continue a work in their life, number two. Maybe they are saved and yet they are off track or the way, what they're saying or they're doing is so hard, it's so unloving, it's so difficult and we pray that God would continue to work in their life. Maybe they're straying into areas of sin or pride or self-centeredness and maybe in areas of false and unbiblical teaching. We pray, oh God, even though these people are confronting me and, and this is going, oh God, would you continue to keep working in their life? And God, would you keep working in my life too? So you're working in them, keep working in me. Pray that they would be drawn back to the Lord, to the word, that they would repent. And then thirdly, pray for God's healing. Hurt people Hurt. And it's oftentimes because of past hurts and things that have happened to them that they are doing and saying what they're doing. Or maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's a financial healing. Whatever it is, you pray for God to bring healing and, and God's blessing upon their life. That's the fourth one. Pray for God's blessing. And you see, when we get to that point where we can pray for God to bless someone, it's an indicator that God is changing your heart from one of anger and bitterness and moving it towards love. When we pray, oh God, would you pour blessing upon them? God, would you pour blessing upon those church leaders, on those family members, on that denomination, on that business that hurt me in such incredible ways? Oh, God, would you pour a blessing upon them? You say, but how can I do that? You can... Only in the power of God can we do that, but may it be 
God's kindness, perhaps, that would lead them to repentance. You say, but if God blesses them, that just gives them the giddy up and go that they can, can continue to live that way. Remember, God has final say. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who suffered greatly and ended up being executed under the Nazi regime. His writing, his sermons, his, his life was just an incredible example. And he said this, this is the supreme command that through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy. We stand by his side and we plead to God for him. That's the supreme command, to love God and then to love others. And when we pray for him, we, we do that. And when we love, we pray for our enemies, something starts to change in our heart. There's a benefit for us in this. You see, it's impossible to pray for another without growing in love for them. For him or for her, we start to, to grow in, in a new love for them. And our enemies can actually become part of God's grace in our lives. A grace that keeps us humble, surrendered, keep us from pride. Because we have to keep coming to God and say, oh God, I need you. I need your help in this. This person has hurt me. They've offended and I need to love them. Oh God, help me to love them the way that you would love. This grace keeps reminding us that we are constantly, just constantly how much we need his grace in our lives. Because we go around and at times we're not aware of ways that we've hurt others. And his grace then gives us his power, his strength to be able to love without limits. And so how do we love without limits? By living with a deepening understanding of God's love for us that we would just be conduits of his love. And we do that then by actions, not just words. It comes by praying for them. And then finally, by realizing how in constant need of God's mercy and grace we are. Look at verse 48. This is the stinger. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. <laughs> That's impossible. Can you repeat that with me? That's impossible. Let's say it together. That's impossible. One, two, three. That's impossible. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You read that, you hear that, you're like, yeah, right. I, I mean, I know some people who think they're perfect, but they're not, and neither are you. And that standard is set too high. It's unattainable, and you're right, it is. It is impossible. But Jesus is confronting then, and he's confronting even people sitting here today who think that somehow we can make it on our own, that we can justify our living, we can justify our thinking, justify our hate. And he's just flattening us in here and just saying, you can't. We can't justify it. We can't make it. That thinking that we can do it on our own. That somehow, some way, we can earn God's favor and, and somehow we've kind of nestled a little, understand God and I have an understanding. He say, no, be perfect. No part of our lives are untainted by sin. And Jesus said that we must be perfect. That's what his sermon confronts, that we, the standard is perfection and we can't do it. And a Christian is someone who keeps coming to the Sermon on the Mount and continues to realize, I can't do this, I can't, can't do this. 
and we come to Jesus for his forgiveness and we receive it over and over and daily. We need this in our lives in order to live out the life that he's called us to live. And this law, these words, this sermon points out that we all fall short. We need a savior. We need righteousness from the outside. We can't do it on our own. And that's where his perfect righteousness comes in. Covers our sin. He covers our far from perfect life. And the only one who can fix our broken hearts, our broken souls, is the one who has forgiven us so greatly of all things. And then he can supply us with the capacity to love others. Let's pray together. Heads bowed. Let's just spend some time together just in some reflection and I trust in some prayer to God. We've been hearing God's word, but now it's time to respond to God's word. And it is my prayer that God would grow within us an incredible capacity to grow with this love without limits. I know I need this in my life. By God's grace, And through his strength that is available, who is it that you need to love, that you need to pray for? Because if truth be known, your heart is filled by anything but love for them, and your prayers are anything but gracious. As you think of those people today, throughout the course of this week, and you think of in light of what God has said to us through his word here this morning, Would we repent of the excuses, the justifications that we've come up to hate or to promote hate through gossip? Excuses that we've come up with to not forgive. There is no reason on this earth for you not to forgive a brother, a sister, a family member, a coworker. And you can't do it on your own power and your own strength. It's only available through Christ. But Christ follower today, there's no place for bitterness, for unforgiveness. No place for making excuses. And if you do hold on to it, you're setting yourself for a course to live in failure and bitterness, a life with very little impact or power, with no glory going to the Lord. And there's others that are watching and learning from you. So I encourage you to confess, even today, the names, the people. You may want to write them down this week, today, even now. And ask God to forgive you first and foremost for not loving them. Repent. Ask God to forgive you for the bitterness, the unforgiveness, and he will cleanse you. He will forgive you. That's the amazing thing. And the best place to be, because we can't do it, is to surrender to the king. It's at the foot of the cross. It's at the foot of the cross. Because there as we look to our Jesus who gave himself for us, we see his love flowing down to us, pouring over us as we were just singing a few moments ago. See your endless grace flowing down to us. Makes us new. So then we have life to begin. A life of love, of praying, of moving towards those as we surrender to this King, to King Jesus in this way, 
and he empowers us and enables us and cleanses us, we will become so recognizable as his sons and his daughters. And so, God, I pray even now, give us a supernatural love, a love beyond limits, a love that is so supernatural, it is from you that would be pouring in us and through us. And that comes as we draw near to you. And so God, do that work in and through us even now, we pray. As the band leads us in worship, you may want to stay in your seat and, pray and, and just stay seated and pray. You may want to stand in worship. Or maybe today you need to drive, drive the nail home and you need to come to the front and come to the front here at the foot of the cross. Love to pray with you. Maybe it's just a time that you need to say and, and, and bring that name, bring that person and say, God, I'm, I'm bringing it to you and would your mercy, would your grace flow from your hand to me today so I can live a life free of the bondage and the unforgiveness that I've been carrying and going with. He wants to set us free and that's his plan for us as his children.